we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. It's good to see you. Uh, from, with every genuine bone in my body, I am so happy to be here with you. And I am really looking forward to sharing the good word with you this morning, and I hope you're ready to receive it. Okay? A little feedback. Are we good? Are we all in the room together? All right. Fantastic. Um, Bill took us through our, our launch last week into our vision statement for the good of our city and asked me to step into week two and talk more about this vision statement. So this is your first week with us or you weren't here last week. We are a people who are living into this reality for the good of our city. And we're gonna spend the next five weeks unpacking that and inviting people to move into this space as we do our best to describe how beautiful this expression is of what God is leading us into as a people. Now, I had this shirt on a couple of weeks ago and I was at a coffee house in Lafayette. And while I was there, the barista behind the counter said, hey, I like your shirt, which is a great invitation into, let me tell you about it. So they asked me questions about the church and they were asking me questions about what do you mean by for the good of our city? And it was really a kind of a cool conversation back and forth. And so wearing this out in the community is a, just a great connection point of engagement to meet with people, to connect with people and to invite people into what God's already doing throughout the front range and throughout our cities that we all come from. And then I was talking with a couple of you last week who are reframing and rethinking about how do I live into for the good of our city as a lawyer? How do I live into that as a therapist? What does that look like in my own calling as a person? How do I become the best version of what God has called me to do in my own calling and to engage for the good of all people, for the good of my particular community that God has placed me in. So it's neat to see the creative imagination and the engagement coming from people within this family as well. And what I love about this vision statement, it, it, it feels like a strong pull forward. And so a good vision statement invites us to move forward into something good, into something beautiful, into something hopeful. This statement feels like it's pulling us into the future, pulling us into something bigger than ourselves and inviting us into this space of living into this reality for the good, for the good of any city that I'm in, for the good of my neighborhood, for the good of the, the people that I get to live with, for the good of my spouse, for the good of the schools, all these different things that we get to engage upon. And so this is a great invitation forward. So this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna spend a little bit of time unpacking the good but I wanna start with talking a little bit about our inner lives. And so much of what we do is we focus on the outer world and we focus on the things that we get to do for God. And many times we are not quite aware of what's going on in our internal selves and to our story inside of our own lives. So I wanna spend a little bit of time going to the inner world for a bit, and then we're gonna focus externally and unpack and reinforce what Bill talked about last week in regards to Matthew chapter five. He brought us into a piece of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, where Jesus talks about salt, light, city, and shininess, my interpretation of that. And he makes these statements about who his students are, the people that have chosen to follow him in the world. He says, you are salt, you are light, you are a city, and you shine. 
And then I want to capture all of that with this statement is that we get to be salty citizens, okay? Just say that within your own self right now. A salty citizen doesn't just, just roll off the tongue really well. Can't you almost taste it? Like a salty citizen. What is a salty citizen? And what does a salty citizen do in this world? And what do they look like and feel like? How do we experience them? So that's where we're going this morning. So let's, let's jump into the inner story for a moment. And I wanna read something to you to capture your attention. Now, according to cognitive neuroscientists, we are conscious of only about 5% of our cognitive activity. Sit with that for a moment. 5%. So most of our decisions, our actions, our behaviors, our feelings, the things that we're experiencing in the eternal world depend on 95% of brain activity that goes beyond our conscious awareness. It's quite striking to me. It's as if we're, we're running on programs or we're, we're running on loops. All of this stuff is already kind of installed in the back of the mind or in the unconscious or subconscious way of thinking. It's like if you ever had an experience where you reacted to something and you stand back and go, what in the heck was I thinking? Anybody in the room ever have that moment? Again, like, are you aware of what you're actually thinking from time to time? And when you step back and go, what, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I react that way? What was going on inside of me that caused me to respond or react or, or overreact in that moment or to say those, those things that I didn't even know I was capable of saying? Let me give you a couple of examples. So when you first learned to drive your car, you were hyper aware of this 6,000 pound vehicle that you were driving at, let's say 80 miles per hour on the freeway. You were super, we don't do 80 here. Is that how it works? I got, I got a little like pushback on that. 80 miles per hour, where are you people driving? I'm like, my experience on 36, is 80 slow? No, it's fact. People go faster than 80? What are, Jen, Jenny, like 95 for you. <laughs> what do you drive? Like slow down just a little bit. So when you first learned to drive your car, you were consciously aware of this vehicle that you were operating. And depending, and depending on which parent taught you to drive, the stress level would be really high or really low, right? Because one parent freaks out and the other parent is really relaxed or whoever taught you how to drive. So you're, you're like hyper aware. But as you learn how to drive over and over and over again, it's like it gets hardwired into your, your mind. And then you're just kind of running on a program. So let's say you're in a car, you're with a good friend, you're driving down the freeway at 95 miles per hour, Jenny. Okay, it's like a missile going down the road and you're having a conversation with a very good friend. And if I were to ask you, Jenny, after 30 minutes of driving so well at 95 miles per hour, what did you see in the last 30 minutes? Would you be able to tell me? Would you be able to say, yeah, I saw this, 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 and this? No, most likely not. You might have a few highlights. Yeah, I saw this billboard that caught my attention, but you were completely immersed in the conversation. But somehow your mind was still driving the vehicle. Somehow it was happening. And we've all had that experience. Or when you first learned to tie your shoes, you're like hyper-focused on tying the shoes. After doing it over and over and over and over again, you now tie your shoes on a program. It's like, as you're tying your shoes, you can watch other things going on. You're not even really consciously thinking about it. You're just doing it. It's like running in a particular loop. Now, those are just two surface examples. But what if we got into your character development as a human being? 
And we started to think about the words that you say to other people, the words that you speak over your own lives, the words that you're telling yourself on an internal basis, on an internal loop. Would we be surprised at what we're hearing going on inside of your inner narrative? Now, the average human has anywhere between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts that are rotating through our mind and shaping who we are and forming who we are as people. Of those 60 to 70,000 thoughts, 80% of those thoughts are negative. Are you with me? 80%. Have you ever received like 10 affirmations and you get one criticism and what do you latch on to? You latch on to that negative statement, that moment. Why is that? Why is the human heart, like when it, when it comes to affirmations or loving words, it almost becomes like Teflon. And when you hear something negative or a criticism, it becomes like super glue and just latches onto that. And that goes into that rotational loop over and over and over again, 80% negative. And then 95% of those 60 to 7,000 thoughts are the same thoughts that you had yesterday and are just on a repetitive loop. Do our thoughts matter? Absolutely. They shape a lot about how we see reality, how we experience life, how we experience the world, just constantly going through our minds. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? Are you focused? Are you paying attention to the lines and the words that you're speaking over your own lives? Are you aware of what's going on? And are you aware of the reality that you are living out of a story every day? And who's defining that story? Who's telling your story? Is it coming from you? Is it coming from God? Is it coming from other people? What's going on in the internal world? So I wanna focus on for the good for a moment and just stop there for the good. That's our vision statement externally for the good of our city, but for the good for a moment. And let's take it to the inner lives and see what's going on inside of us. Now, whether you are in on this Christianity thing, you're in on the Jesus thing, you're like, I'm all in with Jesus, or you're here going, I'm just kind of exploring right now. I'm looking at it. I'm considering it. I'm just standing back and observing what Christianity is in today's reality. Here's a reality for all of us, friends. Every one of us in this room has been created in the image and likeness of God, the creator of the universe. Now, it's something that we can all get behind. The reality of that is that that comes from the biblical narrative that every one of us has been breathed into by the very breath of God. And so we are image bearers of this divine God who created everything around us. All of us are image bearers of the Father. Now I want you to step back into your awareness for a moment. If you've left the building, come on back. And I wanna invite you into a statement. And I want all of us just for a moment in the quietness of our minds and in our bodies to say this over your life. Are you ready? I am an image bearer of a good God. Just say that over yourselves. If you wanna close your eyes for a moment. I am an image bearer of a good God.
Let that set on you, in your mind, in your body, in your soul. I'm an image bearer of a good God. And if you notice right below that statement, it comes out of Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Now, this is coming from a devout Jew who is steeped in Old Testament imagery and language and theology and understanding. And as he's writing this letter to a group of Jesus followers, he pens these words that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He who began will complete. Now, where would a devout Jew be pulling from a bigger story? Going back in the Old Testament narrative, I think we go back all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter one, when God is creating the universe, creating order out of disorder. And we see in Genesis chapter one, in this beautiful poetic expression of God's good creation, God begins to move into the disorder and create order. And every move that God makes, as God begins to create, he steps back after the first stanza and his first initial move towards creation. And as he begins to layer this down, he steps back. And what does God say? Hmm, this is good. And then he creates again and he steps back and he observes and said, this is good. And then he creates humanity in his very image. He steps back and looks at humanity and creation. And what does God say about all of it? It is very good. Very good. All of that created order, God steps back and says, this is very good. Now, I want to invite you to say this over yourselves right now in the quietness of your own mind. I am an image bearer of a very good God. I am an image bearer of a very good God. And let those words move into your very being. This God always completes what this God begins. That's the nature of God. This God completes what this God begins. That means, friends, that your story is not over. If this is true, that this God completes and is completely involved in the outcome of life, that God completes whatever that God begins. And that God, all of that creative energy, all of that creative power, all of that beauty and goodness that exists in God is in each one of us as God creates in us the goodness of life. And he steps deep into our very beings. Now I want to introduce you to a theological concept that I think explains this so beautifully. And the theological concept is called eschatological realism. Now, how's that for a word? Like, try to throw that into your Scrabble mix, right? Eschatological realism. It's just like, ooh, what is that? So when we break it down, eschatological or eschatology has to do with the end of all things, the, the, the end, the, the judgment, the final judgment, or this is where we, we've landed, it's completed. And then if we take the word realism and break that down, I'd say that realism has to do with reality at its most raw. So if you take the two and combine it, 
What it's, what it's explaining is this is who you are becoming as a person. This is the kind of person that you are in the midst of coming. Now, Chris Sturgeon, I want you to come up here on stage with me for a moment. You were just getting ready to sip your coffee, and I surprised you and because I want you to pay attention. This is completely unplanned, but I figured you, you're good with this because you've been up here before. It's not my first time. All right, so I want you to turn around for a moment. Trust you trust me? Yes. Okay, good. Um, okay, I just, I just totally got caught up in the moment. So, as catalogical realism, the kind of person that Chris is becoming, so much of what we experience in life is what I call the push. So we got the push and the pull. And so much of what happens in life is that we get pushed through life by two culprits, guilt and shame. Guilt comes along and pushes, and shame comes along and pushes us. Do you like being pushed, Chris? Not particularly. Yeah, not particularly. <laughs> guilt is tricky. Come back over here with me, Chris. Guilt feels manageable. Guilt is, I've done something wrong. I think I can make it right. Guilt, if you don't have a seared conscience, hopefully it's inside of you at some point. And that guilt comes along and says, yeah, we, we might have to do something about that. I made a mistake, but I think I can make that right. Shame is tricky because shame comes along and says, yeah, you made a mistake. That's because you are a mistake. Shame comes along and says, yeah, you failed. You want to know why? Because you're a failure. Shame's questions come along and say, Chris, what's wrong with you? How do you answer a question like that? So many things. Where do I begin? Shame has a way of cloaking us in all kinds of should language, that I have to do certain things, Shame comes along and just heaps more and more on us. The shoulds and all of those shoulds begin to pile up and create what I call a pile of duty. You're with me, aren't you, Chris? Yeah, you know, you know where this is going. And what I say to the shoulds and what I say to shame and what I say to all of you, including us, is friends, stop shooting on yourselves. Stop it because it's piling up and it's not creating beauty and goodness in your life. And we talked about it in the song that we sang this morning, that your way is better. Break off all the ties of the old religion, break off all the traditions because your way is better, your way is better. And what eschatological realism does and what I think Jesus does is that he invites people forward. And so instead of the push, what I see Jesus doing is pulling forward in love. And the pull is much more invitational, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, that was more pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chris. You can go sit down now, yeah. Yeah. Now you can have a sip of your coffee, my friend. That's okay. So that pull forward into beauty, into goodness, is the surrender. That's the invitation that Jesus gives us. And Jesus sees each one of us and says, this is the kind of person that you're becoming. Jesus doesn't should on us. Jesus doesn't condemn us. Jesus doesn't say, you have to do this. Jesus takes the shoulds and turns them into coulds. He takes the have-tos and he turns them into get-tos. And it's a completely different motivational factor. And that's what Jesus does, is he pulls us forward in love. 
And as we get pulled forward in love, we're becoming more and more the people that God has created us to be in the, the surrender of love. And so Jesus invites us to move forward and he begins to speak words of life over our very being. I was standing in the back corner just before the service began and Peggy, where's Peggy? Peggy, are you in the room? Peggy, raise your hand. Peggy spoke a blessing over me. And it was like, I felt like I was being pulled into something. It was like words of life being spoken over my life. So thank you, Peggy, for doing that. It felt like a pull forward. And that felt like Jesus to me. And that's what Jesus does is he pulls us into beauty and goodness. And if you think about what Jesus said to his students last week, as Bill took us through Matthew chapter five, verses 14 through 16, Jesus makes these declarative statements over his students and his students haven't even done anything yet. And what he said was, you are salt, you are light, you are a city and you shine. They haven't even done anything yet. And he begins to make these statements over them, declaring who they already are, helping them to remember their future and where they're going. You're salt, you're light, you are a city, and you shine. You're salt. That means you're a healing presence in the world. You enhance and you draw out beauty around you because that's the nature of salt. You are light. That means that you are drawn to darkness. You don't hide from it, but you move into it. And that you are a city, a diverse group of people with all kinds of different opinions and situations and that you hold the tension well because you are a city of people who are invited into the way of Jesus in the world and you shine, my friends. Have you ever been around somebody who shines and you just feel the essence of who they are leaking out of them and you're like, I don't know what it is about this person, but there's something so extraordinary going on inside of them that I feel drawn in by the love and the power of Jesus. And what Jesus is doing here is he's making a, de a declaration over his students that you are salty citizens. Salty citizens engage with the world. Salty citizens move out into the world and they bring healing and hope and love. Salty citizens are people whose lives are so aligned with who Jesus is and what Jesus says that they're filling the earth with goodness because they can't help to do anything else because of who they are. Imagine when an entire community of people align with Jesus. Imagine the saltiness that comes out of that community. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to this couple, Abraham and Sarah, and says, through you and through your family line, I'm gonna do something about all the chaos in the world. Through your line, through your seed is going to come the one that's going to redeem all of creation and make it new and set people free and bring healing and pour it out over people's lives. And through you, all nations will be blessed. All nations will be fortified. There is goodness that will come through your family and an entire nation is birthed, the nation of Israel. And then the nation of Israel, as they learn to live into their saltiness, because these truly are the first salty citizens to walk on the face of the earth. And God begins to move in goodness through them to show them this is what God is like in love and goodness and pulling people forward. But, it, but every once in a while, this community of people forgot who they are. They forgot, they weren't paying attention and they lost the plot. 
And along the way, if you go through the, the whole biblical arc, you'll see that these folks forgot who they were. So in 597 BC, something tragic happened to the nation of Israel. Babylon, Babylon comes in and ransacks Jerusalem and takes 10,000 of their entire community and brings them into exile. 10,000 people captured, brought into exile, 10,000 of their best citizens, the artists, the leaders, the shapers of culture, the educators, the best of the best, and brought into captivity. And then as these people are learning how to live in captivity with this nation of Babylon, who's an evil nation worshiping false gods and different ways of looking at reality and life, all of these false prophets begin to rise up within their ranks and they say, there's basically two options that you have, and we're gonna invite you to go with option number one. And the two options that the false prophets gave to this community was, you can separate or you can assimilate. You gotta separate yourself from the culture. Do not engage. What I envision with that is like taking a pile of salt and just putting it in the cupboard. No need for it, just keep it there, hidden away. Y'all just be salty together, hidden away to separate yourselves because we don't wanna become like the culture. And that's the assimilation piece that we assimilate and then we just become like the culture. We lose our saltiness. There's nothing that really defines us because we're just like everybody else around us. And so those are the only two options. And then God brings up Jeremiah and Jeremiah provides a third way. And he talks about the essence of what it means to be a salty citizen. And check out what Jeremiah says to the people as he begins to speak on behalf of God. He says in 29, verse four, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Observation, who brought them there? God, not Babylon, not King Nebuchadnezzar. God brought them there, led them there into exile. I mean, try to get your brain wrapped around that. God brings them into exile, raises up a prophet who says, I want you first of all to be aware that I brought you here and I brought you here for a reason because you're salty citizens and I'm inviting you to step in and bring light into the darkness, not to separate, not to assimilate, but the third option is to make sure you maintain your identity of who you are as God's people and you don't lose the essence of who you are because you believe into this beautiful narrative that you are salt, you are light, you shine and you are a city. So you stay in and you remain potent and excellent and invite people to remember who they are. And then he goes on and he drops this at the end of his statement. Verse 29, verse seven, he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that's the invitation. That's this, for the good of our city. And as we walk around our neighborhoods and we walk around our schools and we think about our educators and we think about all the things that they're doing, we are a kind of people who pray and bless because we want to be potent citizens in this kingdom that God has called us to step into fully. That we wanna be a healing presence. That we're not interested in separating ourselves from the culture, we wanna be a part of it and remain connected to Jesus and what Jesus says about us and who we are as people. 
to stay directly connected at the very center and the heartbeat of who Jesus is and what Jesus says that we are. We are salt, we are light, we are a city, and we shine, friends. So I'm inviting you to shine, shine, heal, enhance, bring out the beauty and the goodness around you because of who you are. Surrender to the pull of Jesus and don't let shame and guilt push you around any longer but surrendering to the pull and the goodness of God that I am an image bearer of a very, very good God. Rest in that. And let's respond with a song that invites us to step into the overflow, the goodness of Jesus. And I wanna speak blessing over your life. And I wanna proclaim healing over your lives in Jesus' name. Receive that. Receive the love of Jesus. Receive the love of Jesus. Receive the healing power of Jesus over your life, over your minds, over every bit of who you are as people. Pay attention, image bearers of this good and gracious God who sees you, who loves you, who desires you, who wants good things for you and your life. So I speak life over you. I speak blessing over you. I speak goodness over you. May you receive the goodness of God this morning. And now my friends, may the Lord God bless you. May he keep you May he cause his face to shine upon you so that your response is only to shine back into the world because that's what shiny people do. And may he lift up his countenance upon you. All that he is surrounding you, swirling around you, leading you forward. And may he give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.